Preferred Capital Funding presents the Result Podcast, a podcast where trial lawyers share a recent verdict or settlement and discuss how they achieved the result. The Result Podcast is brought to you by Preferred Capital Funding. PCF provides loans to your clients, all while providing the highest level of customer service and continuing to be 100% attorney referral based. If you have a client in need of a loan, please contact me at jason at pcfcash.com. Now let's hear from attorney Sydney McClafferty of Geyser, Bowman and McClafferty in Columbus, Ohio, about how PCF has been able to serve her and her clients. My clients have greatly appreciated having an attorney who has the resources to meet their needs quickly. PCF is a fast and accessible resource for my clients, allowing me to provide solutions to their most urgent concerns, whether that be funding for continuation of health insurance or money to replace a car so they can return to work. It's truly been a lifesaver for some. Today, the result is pleased to welcome Antonio Romanucci of Romanucci and Blandon. Tony's firm is a national practice based in Chicago and represents plaintiffs across numerous practice areas, including civil rights, medical malpractice, product liability, wrongful death, class action, and mass torts. Tony co-founded the firm in 1998, and in addition to being involved in some of the highest profile suits in the country, including currently being on the leadership committee for the Boeing 737 MAX suits, Tony is also the current president of the Illinois Trial Lawyers Association. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jason. Happy to be on. Now, this is the inaugural podcast of the result. Uh, We intend to put these out every other Tuesday for the foreseeable future. Um, And since the title of the podcast is The Result, Tony, with the case that we'll be talking today, what was the result? So the result on the case that we're talking about today was a a matter that I tried actually just about a year ago. We received the verdict of $21 million against the city of Chicago for a police chase case that we said was dealt with inappropriately. And um, the case settled late last year in November of 2019 for 19.25 million while it was on appeal. Fantastic. Um, With that, let's go ahead and just kind of give us an overview of the case at the beginning, uh, kind of the basic facts going in. It was a very interesting case because depending on on who you spoke to, you got two very different opinions. And if we have enough time, Jason, I'll talk to you a little bit about the focus groups and the mock trials that we did on the case. What happened was uh, in December, uh, a number of years ago, back in 2014, a family was on its way to celebrate Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is a very uh, particular and holy day for people of Hispanic origin. And they had eight people in a Ford Durango. And while they were traveling there, they were hit by a car that was being chased by two police uh by two other police vehicles. The facts surrounding the chase were were very interesting because there were kids who were inside the stolen vehicle. They had not stolen the vehicle. They were operating a stolen vehicle. The police identified the vehicle as stolen. And what they did was they began to chase the vehicle on city streets. And in Chicago, our streets are, are short. There are lots of stoplights and stop signs, and our speed limit is uh, at most 30 miles per hour on urban streets. Side streets are 25 miles per hour. And so the chase exceeded those speeds. They chased through stop signs and through stoplights. And eventually uh, the, the, the kids who were operating the stolen vehicle went through an intersection that hadn't cleared 
struck the vehicle with uh, our clients inside of it, killed one of the persons and seriously injured uh, multiple other people that were inside the vehicle. Now, Tony, when you took the case in, what was the most interesting aspect of the discovery period and what did you have to go through? I know you mentioned that you did some focus groups and some other things, but on the front end of taking the case in, what were some of the details that you think really helped get you to that final number? Well, believe it or not, before we even started discovery on the case, Jason, we actually did start doing focus groups on it in order that we could um, tailor our discovery to what we thought a jury would be looking for. You know, and we had to deal with the issue that these kids were operating a stolen vehicle. They were breaking the law, you know, and how do people feel about lawbreakers then when they harm other people? You know, we're trying to blame the Chicago Police Department when indeed Chicago Police Department, their vehicles never struck our car. It was the wrongdoers. It was the kids who were breaking the law. So that was, I would say, you know, the most interesting part of discovery was really making sure that we were that we were tailoring a message that was being that would resonate with the jury. And indeed, the message that we tailored throughout discovery was that this was a case of shared responsibility. We weren't blaming the Chicago police entirely. We weren't blaming the kids entirely. We were blaming both. And we had to make sure that they both got a proportionate amount of blame given uh, the harms that they caused. Now, this, this obviously was a high profile case. How did you handle that aspect in the media as you're going through the focus groups and it started to get some coverage? Well, it, it was a high profile case just because of, of the nature of, you know, on the date that it happened on Our Lady of Guadalupe, which I believe is on December 8th. And then the number of injuries that occurred, you know, Chicago has a very um, uh, large Hispanic population. We have two media outlets that are dedicated solely to the Hispanic population. So yes, it did get a lot of media attention. It was covered widely. And so we had to be careful at a certain point that, that we got closer to trial. You know, a lot of lawyers like to try their case through the media. And I guess sometimes that works. But in our case, we also had to be careful that, that we didn't um, taint our message. And we thought that our message was so good. And it, I, we felt that it was good because we really tested it so much with our focus groups and mock trials that we didn't want the message being either diluted or mismessaged. And the other two messages that we, we, we really fine tuned, Jason, you know, prior to trial that we used quite extensively at trial was that the police made the choice to chase. So the jury heard multiple, multiple times that these officers made the choice to chase and that they, the choice to chase led to um, them making a decision that property was more important than people. Because what we, what we told the jury was that the police department that were chasing kids because of a piece of stolen metal. These kids had not committed a forcible felony. They had not harmed anyone. They were joyriding, as it turned out. And, and this joyriding turned into death and destruction for this family. 
So we used those, we crafted those messages very carefully, and then we used them extensively, not only in opening statements and closing arguments, but even during the examinations of the witnesses at trial. So you can imagine at trial, when I would have one of the police officers on the stand, although it sounds simplistic, ultimately we would get them to admit that they made the choice to chase the kids who had stolen the piece of metal or were driving the piece of stolen metal, and that ultimately their choice led to a decision of property over people rather than making a decision to value people over property. Now, I know you used the focus groups to craft your message. Was there anything in the focus groups that surprised you? Was there an opinion or result that came out of that that you were surprised with? Well, the, the, the one thing that we had to be very careful of was this, and we, we had to be careful of bias. Um, the, the, this incident, the, this crash took place in a neighborhood in Chicago called Englewood. And it has, a, a, unfortunately, um, a, a very surprising um, response rate. When you say the word Englewood or West Side or South Side in Chicago, right away, people start thinking about crime. They think about murder, mayhem, robberies, gangs. And so we had to be very careful that we didn't talk about Englewood or the South Side because then people had a, a certain bias. And we were able to convince the judge that the word, that the term Englewood did not belong in the trial because indeed, it would implicitly bias the jury. And, and that was very helpful. So we did find out that if, if the words Englewood were injected in trial, we'd be in trouble. What was your demand going in? So our, demand, our final demand, our, our, our final demand right before trial, when we said that this was the last number that we would accept or else we're, you're not gonna talk to us until you know, after the case is resolved through you know, judgment or appeal, was 8.5 million. Um, and, and clearly that was a number that, that our clients had, had agreed to, that they, that they would accept. We conveyed that number and um, it, was, it was rejected. The final offer that was made to us was $3 million. When you got to the actual jury trial, how long did it take for the jury to come back? Well, uh, you ask any lawyer, Jason, and they'll usually tell you too long. Uh, it, it was it was a two nights. Uh, it was over three days and two nights, and it was way too long for us um, because you don't know what they're thinking other than uh, at the time that they come back with questions. And this was a very chatty jury. Uh, they probably came back with, at a minimum, if I recall, at least six or seven jury questions over those, uh, you know, two nights of, of deliberation. So. It all feels way too long when, when, you know, when you're waiting for a verdict. Tony, what, for the other attorneys that will listen to this podcast, if there's one thing that you think that they should take away to learn, uh, to plug into their practice and what they do, what would you say from this case specifically, you would say is a really good tool or a tangible piece of advice you would give? There are so many pieces of, of, of teaching moments that came out of this trial. But what we did, I think, which was most effective is 
that we were able to use the city witnesses, their own people, as our experts. Um, we were able to fashion uh, very good cross-examinations, I would say actually terrific cross-examinations of their witnesses where they were actually testifying and agreeing on our behalf so that ultimately, um, you know, the city really was, was backed into a corner because they couldn't argue against their own witnesses. And, and, you know, the teaching moment for any lawyer out there is that if you're able to turn, you know, a defense witness into, you know, a quasi plaintiff expert, um, you're very likely to succeed uh, because then the jury doesn't know why the case is even being tried. If you're putting on your case and the evidence is going in well, and then all of a sudden you're turning defense witnesses, you know, speaking the words that you want them to speak um, because you know what the message is, um, you have a very high likelihood of success. Tony, is there anything that we missed today about this case and your result that you want to share with us? Yeah, I, I can share one other scary moment, um, you know, on this on this trial. You know, the 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 kid, um, and the reason I keep calling them kid and children is because they were 15 years old. They were underage when they were driving when the occupants were in the car, and so we always called them kids and or children. We never called them adults. Uh, we never called them, you know, defendants. We always called them kids. We wanted this to continuously be messaged as a joyriding expedition. But one of them was still in jail at the time of trial on the on the manslaughter or the negligent manslaughter charges. I don't remember exactly what the charge was, but he was still in jail at the time. And uh, the defense, the city of Chicago was actually going to bring this uh, defendant, this kid, to trial to testify that he was the one that hit them. Uh, we were able to escape that by agreeing to a stipulation um, of the conviction at trial rather than the, the actual testimony. And I think that was very significant um, so that the jury actually didn't get a chance to put a face to someone who actually crushed the car and, and killed the occupant. Uh, rather, we were able just to get the words spoken through a stipulation, which I think was significant. Tony. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here today and sharing with us the outstanding result that you were able to achieve for you and your clients. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jason. That'll do it for today's episode of The Result. The Result is brought to you by Preferred Capital Funding. We provide pre-settlement loans to clients involved in civil lawsuits. We make the process quick and easy, or 100% attorney referral based, proud to be the number one sponsor of trial lawyer associations across the country, and our rates are significantly lower than our next biggest competitor. If you have a client in need of a loan, please contact us today at Jason, J-A-S-O-N, at pcfcash.com. Thank you.